Like a pebble thrown into a river, there are events in life which ripple and affect change through knowledge. Such is the Spark and Manga Review podcast. Warning, this podcast contains adult language, mature situations, Tokugawa era samurai, violence, murder, revenge plots that span generations, immortal nuns, gore, several bladed weapons, holy bloodworms, and eternity. Listener discretion is advised. Another episode of the Spark and Mong Review Podcast. I'm your host, Zan. How you doing today? Pretty good, I'm hoping. For those you don't know, Spyrokin can be found at http colon slash slash spyrokin.podbean.com. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email me at spyrokin at gmail.com or Skype under Spyrokin. I am listed under Twitter under Spyrokin. And if you want to leave a voicemail, 206-426-6665. That again is 206-426-MONK. Now, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, Spyrokin is a site that provides information and reviews about manga. Now, the goal of this podcast is to assist our listeners in finding quality manga as well as avoid potentially nauseating and substandard manga. That way you don't buy crap in the store which is just thrown out there, for example, the upcoming Twilight manga or even, dare I say, the horrific Yaoi manga and also find gems which haven't been around for a while, for example, what we're reviewing today. Either way, I know I'm talking to third person, sorry about that. Hope you had a very good week. This was Valentine's Day weekend and I hope you had a good time and if you were alone, I apologize. I hope that you're able to slum and hang out and watch quality anime, movies, games, or do something else. For me, I did some interesting stuff, hung out with certain people, and, well, that's neither here nor there. Didn't get any emails, and I spent most of the weekend actually beating Bioshock 2. 17 hours and 10 minutes took me to beat that game, and I loved it! Great game. Truly great. I want to play it again. I did it perfect with not harvesting any of the little sisters, and not killing any of the three optional people you could have saved or killed. So I got the perfect good ending, and it wasn't bad. While there was, spoiler alert, no real boss at the ending, it was still a pretty good game. And it was just as good as the first one. I love the fact the audio diaries were a little more interesting this time. It had a lot of interesting and unique tales which actually corresponded with the original story, including a couple of audio logs which were Andrew Ryan and, of course, Frank Fontaine slash Atlas. Sorry I spoiled that if you haven't played the first game. Sorry. Either way. Beat it. It was awesome. I'm now currently trying to plow my way through multiplayer before my Xbox Live subscription ends. I'm currently at level 25, and I love the way that you actually level up. Now, the only complaint I have with multiplayer is the fact that you can't actually customize your character. They actually give you a template you could play as this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and they can just change your mask or change your weapon. I would have liked to actually be able to design a character that looks like me 
but is in that 40s style and has the splicer issues with them, which would have been kind of cool and also a lot of fun to use. But they didn't do that, but I got no complaints. The game is fun, it's really easy to play, and, well, if you want to hear any more, check out the fightbait.com podcast where I am the co-host, surprisingly, which is a little odd, but hey, it works out. Talking with John Paul is a lot of fun. I get to talk about other things. Also, one little thing, I am trying to create a mythology for the Wheel of Manga, so if you want to know where it came from or where do you think the Wheel of Manga came from, send me an email at spirekin at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 206-426-6665, that again is 206-426-MONK, and leave me a voicemail with a story about where you think the Wheel of Manga came from and what gave it its unholy or holy powers. I mean, you could say it was forged by Zeus or Hephaestus or even made by a fat man in a cheap town in China. Either way, that doesn't matter because, well, we'll talk about the wheel another day. Anything else? Of course, I do have my one contest design a new logo for the Spark and Monger View, which is coming up in the middle of April. That's when it ends, and all you gotta do is create a banner and also a new logo. Using the basic design I have, see what happens. Again, JPEG format and CMYK. Either way, enough of that, because you're not here to hear, listen about video games or dating or whatever. You're here to listen about manga, and especially with the manga this week, because it is one of the quintessential mangas that has been released in the United States, and it's a pretty cool manga. Well, I'm reviewing this week, if you remember from last week, Blade of the Immortal, or Mugen no Junin, which literally means the inhabitant of infinity. Now this was written by Hiroaki Samurai. Not Samurai, there's no I, but it's very close. And it was published by Kodansha and released over here under Dark Horse Comics. It originally came out in 1994 and it's still coming out, which is pretty cool. It's in the same format. They didn't swap it or change it, so I like that. There's 22 volumes currently out and there is a TV anime series with 13 episodes and it's a supernatural Chanbara, or in English, sword fighting series. And it's Senin. Now, Blade of the Immortal is a period piece, and it's set in feudal Japan during the latter half of the Tokugawa era. It's somewhere around 1782. Now, for those who don't know, the Tokugawa era started in 1603, and it was after a generation of intense warfare, the Sengoku period. And that was when a bunch of powerful warlords battled to unite Japan. And the winner of these battles... Tokugawa Iyatsu became the shogun and he established this very highly structured and centralized social system that stuck around for around 250 years. Now the country became closed off from foreign influences, hence the, the period of isolation. That's why then the black ships showed up, but again neither here nor there. And what happened was the land was kind of handed out and split up between a bunch of feudal lords that we know as daimyo who employed the samurai to run the machinery of government and keep the peasants in line. But the problem with this was after generations of peace, the samurai have become more bureaucratic. And they're, they're not bureaucrats, they're not warriors. They cling to their tradition in the code of the Bushido and the codes of honor, but the problem is they generally and gradually lost their fighting skills. One of these major codes of honors was using only a Japanese blade during battle. It was very dishonorable to pick up any other blade which is a key point in this series. And also, during this period, there's a lot of other social changes and so on and so forth, Then eventually the Meiji era comes up. But, again, neither here nor there. So this is in the around the center of the Tokugawa era. And it opens up with a priest who's talking to some guy, and he's like, how many people have you killed, sir? One? Two? And the guy looks up, 
with a bunch of weapons laid out in front of him says, A hundred. Then a bullet shot goes out. The guy says, Oh, you you thought you were so badass, I kill you in one shot. Suddenly the guy who was shot in the skull stands up and stabs the guy. And says, Sorry, Gilbatsu Johnny. You couldn't stop me. This is our main character, Manji, who is known as the Hatamoto Killer. And the guy he just killed, Gyobutsu Johnny, is this bounty hunter who pretends to be a priest and he kills people. And the whole premise of this main character is that he used to be a samurai for the Hatamoto Lord. I think it's Lord Hatamoto. And what happened is that he was a very faithful vassal until he learned that Hatamoto was corrupt. And he proceeded to kill Hatamoto, and he went on the run. He ended up killing a bunch of people, about roughly 100 people. And as he's running off, he decides, I'm going to hide out at my sister's house. And I'll be safe there, because the cops won't find me, because I've been on the run for two years. The problem, though, is that his sister, Machi, married a police officer. And so he's running, you're running, and he sees a cop say, Aha! Pitakori Matamoto. You're killing all these people, I'm going to stop you. And he's looking, and he gets ready to attack the guy, and then the cop looks behind him because he sees someone behind him. He's like, Machi, I didn't tell you to be here. Too late. Manji ends up killing his sister's husband in front of her, which is kind of fucked up on so many levels. And what happened was that she has become very distraught about it, and her mind retracted into herself. So, present day, Machi is a basket case. She has a childlike mind, yet she's 23 years old, and Manji is, well, immortal. Because what happened was that he bumped into this nun named Yao Bikuni. And Yabukuni says she's 800 years old, she's an immortal nun, and she gave him these things called the Kensenchu, or the Holy Bloodworms. And what happens is these things, they work by sacrificing themselves to seal a wound. They're these worms that were bred to be as close in their chemical and physical makeup as humans. So what happens is you cut yourself, one of these worms kind of seals the hole and it dies, and it looks like your regular skin, but it's actually made of worm flesh. These things also can't handle regrowth on a large scale. For example, you cut your arm off. It's not going to regenerate a new arm, but if you take the limb, you could reattach it. Or you can seal a hole, or so on and so forth. It works really well, but the problem is that later on, there are viruses or whatnot that can actually affect these worms, and you attack the worms, you can attack the immortal. But otherwise, Manji is pretty much immortal. You can cut off his head if you reattach it within a certain amount of time, he's perfectly fine. So... It's pretty cool. It's very similar to the Immortals in, say, Highlander or the Yakimo in Three by Three Eyes, the female character in Jack Frost, or Alucard from Helsing, where the, the bullets and stuff will just regenerate after a short period of time. Again, we're getting a little off topic. So what happens is that Manji, after these two years have happened, he's pretty much taken care of his little sister who has lost her mind. Now you're probably wondering, what is he, just like someone going blah, 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 blah. No. He's just sitting there eating lunch, and his sister walks up to him and says, Hey, big brother, I have a secret. I was walking to get some water, and I found a really big bean roll in the ground. And she's holding this thing in her hand, and Manji looks at Machi and says, You're holding a piece of horse shit. Put it down and wash your hands. That's kind of fucked up. She is completely far gone, the sister. And while one thing leads to another, and a bunch of people who've heard about Manji go to have their revenge and end up killing Machi. And in one of the coolest scenes in the first manga, he ends up dropping all of his weapons, like throwing them on the ground and then using all of them, killing these guys. 
annihilating them. And he kind of has an epiphany. So he goes back to Yao Bikumi, who she said that she is destined to live forever until she heals all the sinners in the world. That's her mission life. And she's the one who made Manji's immortal. And Manji says, well, look, I got a proposition for you. A couple years back, I killed a hundred of the good guys, including Machi's husband. Now, to pay that off, how about I spend the rest of my life cutting down a thousand of the bad guys? Yabikumi says, okay, you do that, and then my little worm friends won't bother you ever again, and you can die. So, the premise of the series is that he is going to try to kill 1,000 bad guys to atone for his mistake of killing 100 good guys, including Machi's husband and inadvertently Machi because he pissed off so many people. So he's kind of a lone samurai trying to do the good thing, a yojimbo. But the cool thing about him is that, remember earlier I said that one of the major codes of honor is that you only use a Japanese blade during combat? Well, Manji doesn't do that at all. He uses a bunch of weapons, like, for example, he has a fairly standard dagger, a tanto with a serrated edge, a barbed weapon with these nasty-looking hooks on it, a pair of Akirsuragami scythes connected by a length of chain for swinging, two bladed daggers that resemble the ninja-style Kyotsuk Sogo, two of these unique tantos that have the sword-catching secondary blades, also has finger grips and latches to attach a chain to, a double-ended dagger, a forked tanto, and these two identical katanas that what happens is you can take out the blade of one and connect it into the other to make a double-edged blade. He also has a bunch of several shurikens, and he just uses anything possible to win when he can. And one thing he commented on early is that, unfortunately, because of his immortality, he's kind of gone to crap. He's not a super martial artist like, for example, Roni Kenshin. Kenshin always has this technique which he uses to kick the shit out of the bad guy and beat him in one shot, right? Right. Manji just outlasts the fucker. He gets stabbed sliced, cut open, gouged, and the guy kicks his ass, and then when the guy's not looking, Manji stabs him, or slices him up. I mean, there's only been like two instances so far from the five volumes I've read where he actually kicked the shit out of the character because he is strong. Otherwise, it's just he gets his ass kicked and will just eventually survive just by not dying. So, usually we... I've already introduced two of the main characters, Manji and Yabikumi. Now, it wouldn't be the same if we didn't have any other characters. Now, the other main protagonist is Rena Sano, who is the heir to the Mutenichi Ryu. Now, she's this girl who's 16 years old, and when you first see her, it's two years in the past, so it's very Quentin Tarantino-ish with going back and forth in time. What happened was, on her 14th birthday, her dad was supposed to show up to hang out with her and her mom, and after she was joking with her mom, you think he's having an affair? No, he promised that he won't go out and drink tonight, honey. What happens is her father shows up, bleeding gout, says, You have to leave now. They're attacking. And she's introduced to this group called the Ito Ryu. Now, the Ito Ryu is this group, which is headed by this very charismatic kid named Anatsu Kagahisa. Now, Kagahisa is this very enigmatic character who is there for revenge. See, what happened was, two generations ago, Kagisa's grandfather and Rin's great-grandfather were study partners at the Mutenichi Ryu. They were studying to become the best swordsmen ever. And what happened was the school was assaulted by these invaders, 12 of them. And what happened was that Kagehisi, his grandfather, killed eight of them, while Rin's grandfather only killed four of them. However, Kagehisa's grandfather got exiled because he dared to pick up a foreign blade. And as I said earlier, using a foreign blade is very honorless and 
very bad, and it wasn't fair because the thing was that Kagehisa's grandfather was trying to protect his master because he loved him so much. So either way, what happens is that years down the line, he wants revenge for what happened, and Anotsu, Kagehisa, he wants just ultimate revenge against these people, but also he wants to do this, create this sword style, which is essentially only the strongest sword men can fight, and we are the best school in the world, and you do whatever you can to win. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Like a certain wrapped up individual who was evil during the Meiji Restoration in a certain manga starring a cross-scarred person, but again, neither here nor there. So what happens is that after brutally killing her father, Kagehisa leaves and lets his friends, the 12 of them, proceed to run the train on her mother, which is really fucked up. So she spent the last two years studying and training to become a killer to kill off all of the Itoryu and avenge her family. And the funny thing is, she doesn't know her father's style because she sucks at it. And so she's learning all these different techniques and she's becoming essentially what her great-grandfather exiled Kagahisa's grandfather for because she uses anything possible to win and so does Manji. And what happens is that She's really depressed because she sucks. She has this one move called the Flick of the Golden Wasp. Very cool, like throws a bunch of daggers, but besides that, she sucks. And what happens is that she bumps into this little old lady who says she's a nun named Yabikumi who says, you, you need a Jimbo to protect you, a bodyguard, and I know just the man to help you out. Enter in Manji. So she hires Manji and they end up going through this long revenge story, which is pretty cool. And... They fight a couple of people, including the person who killed her mom and initiated the rape, who's this really sick fuck who does this stuff with blood. I'm not gonna get into it. Another character who desecrated her mother's body by sewing it to his skin. There's a guy who was a peasant who just hates the samurai and he's kind of stuck in the middle. Another immortal, and there are a bunch of other characters, and it's just them trying to get to Anotsu and have their revenge. And at one point, she actually confronts Anotsu and he says, you're doing the exact same thing that my grandfather was thrown out of the school for, and I approve of it, because you're going to get stronger, and when you're strong enough, you can join my group. We'll be good. Sorry for killing your parents, but no worries. Very odd and very screwed up. And it's very interesting the way that they have the characters initiate these revenge plots, but then what happens is that you think, okay, what's the story? It's just revenge is everything? Well, not really. For example, when they get into the fight with the person who raped her mother, that ends up setting up another person who wants to have revenge on them because of the fact that they killed his father, and he's going to get revenge on them for that, but she's getting revenge, and it just, it, it's a whole web of treachery and deceit and revenge and angst, and it's a pretty cool series. The story is very engaging, and it's pretty long. Now, one of the best things about Blade of the Immortal is that it has a very beautiful, realistic art style to it. Now, Samura switches between ink and pen from one panel to the next, varying this style from every panel. And it varies from the typical manga pen work, to this very realistic sketch work, to this very dramatic kind of splash page that's very reminiscent of Yoshitoshi. Now, although Samura stylizes and he kind of makes his characters look very elongated, especially really early in like the first two volumes, he's got a pretty thorough knowledge of anatomy. Like he obviously studied art in school, so he knows how to draw the correct proportion and also to create these very unique expressive poses. Now, one of the things is that's pretty cool about it is the fact that throughout this manga, it's released over here left to right, standard American right, but the panels weren't flipped because that was one of the deal that they made because Samura loved his artwork and he requested that the publishers 
would not flip the manga. You know, reverse the pages like they do usually, they used to do, where it looks like it's in a mirror. For example, we use my favorite series, the original run of Ronda One Half, where they flipped all the pictures around to make it go from right to left to left to right, and there'd be these weird little discrepancies. For example, Ron would be wearing this tank top that says boy on it in his girl form, and then you look at the panel and boy is backwards. You're like, what the fuck? Why is she wearing a backwards B? It's because they flipped the page around to make it easier to read. And what happened is that they would just very easily cut out every single panel and then rearrange them on the page in order to have the action flow from left to right. Now, the best thing about this is that some of the pages they couldn't do that with. They couldn't, because the, one of the main things is that Manji on the back of his shirt has a Buddhist Savasika, which is essentially a counterclockwise symbol that means prosperity and it's got forearms. Now, if you flip this Zvastika over, it becomes the German Nazi swastika, which is the arms pointing clockwise, which in the beginning of every volume it says, this is, we're not, we don't agree with Nazis, this is pretty fucked up. It's just because it's a Buddhist symbol, it's not the one that the Nazis perverted, it's the original style. And so if they flipped over the pages, it would become from the Savastika to the Swastika, which is kind of fucked up. So what happened was they actually contacted Samura, and he actually redrew all the pages that had to be flipped like that. So that was pretty cool on his part. Also, a lot of the sound effects were left intact. And, well, if they had to redo something in English, he would draw it. So that's pretty nice, and, well, it's pretty fun to do story is excellent. I really dig it, and I want to read the rest of it. best thing about it, though, is I just like the fact that this is a character who, he's immortal, and he's not a super badass. Like, you know, example, Dragon Ball Z, I will defeat you and I can learn another technique. No. This guy's lazy and a son of a bitch. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't even try to advance his martial arts. Like, yeah, I'm already as good as I'm going to get. Uh, yeah, you're going to, oh, you, oh, shit, you stabbed me. All right, oh, he turned around. I'll stab you back. Enough said. He doesn't really advance his martial arts craft, he just kind of sticks the way he does, and after he kills someone, he generally picks up their weapon and says, I'm going to add this to my arsenal, so when I dump all my weapons on the ground to pick them up one at a time to kill you, I can fight with the best of them. And that actually happens later on, where he's fighting one girl who's super fast, and in order for him to actually defeat her, he ends up using like half his weapons and dumping them on the ground, and then he has her cut his arm off, so he can be faster which was really cool sequence later on. But the series is pretty cool. Nice concept, and I love the fact that the, they have an actual gimmick for the why he's immortal. It's not just, he's an immortal. No, they explain the worms will heal him to a certain extent, but not completely, and I like that. I really did. I like the artwork. I love the fact that some of the pages are pencil and some are ink, and there's not really a lot of color, and it's still coming out. Pretty cool. So what am I going to give? Blade of the Immortal? which is a truly magnificent series that is a staple of the genre and if you ever want to have someone get into the series this is a pretty cool one to start off with if they like anime and manga and they want to find something new this is worth it so I'm gonna give this a really 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 fucking cool if you don't read this now your eyes will swell up your brain will freeze and your soul will be forfeit to the great Zomo Gustar Hello Palazzo it's worth reading it's worth checking out if you can get a hold of it on eBay or on Amazon, definitely go for it. The anime I heard was pretty cool, but the ending is completely different, and they only cut off, well, they cut off a majority of it. They only cover the first two story arcs. 
there's like 20 of them so sucks for that but worth checking out and a pretty good soundtrack if you've heard in the background throughout this entire episode I've been playing it either way guess that's it for this review I think so as usual you can check out any prior episode as I said earlier at http colon slash slash com, or you can email me any questions comments concerns about anything that has to do with any of the series I reviewed or series you want me to review or just basic comments about how I'm, or critiquing about how I'm doing in the podcast. I'd appreciate it and I do read it on the air. Ah, I think, oh, and without further ado, let's get on with it with, of course, what am I speaking about? I'm talking about the one, the only, the Wheel of Manga! What is the Wheel of Manga? The Wheel of Manga is a Wheel of Fortune with 10 slots on it. And what I've done is I've assigned a manga to each of the slots. There are 10 possible manga I'm reviewing for the next episode of the Spyrokin Manga Review, except no substitutes. And what happens is that when I spin it, whatever it lands on, that's what I'm reviewing for the next episode of Spyrokin Manga Review. And it's always something different every week, which is kind of cool. That's how I choose the different series for this show. And it makes it a little bit interesting because I have a list of over. 2,000 manga to choose from, and every week it's a different list. I never use the same list twice. I always vary it somehow. And once a series is done, I click it off the list, and well, sometimes I have to replace it because next week another manga comes out. But either way, let us spin for what's going to be the next episode of the Spark and Manga Review. Let's see what I'm going to get. Number seven, and number seven is going to be. Record of Lotus War, The Demon of Flame. Oh damn, that's an old school manga. That is really, really old school. I can't believe that. So, another retro manga. I guess that's it for this episode of the Spyrokin Manga Review. You can check me out also on iTunes. Leave me some comments on the page so I can know what you guys think about me. And I really appreciate you guys downloading this episode. So, as usual, this is your host, Zan, and I